0: The so-called Kraken has yet to be released. Democrats once again choose politics over science. And the radical left has abandoned the right to self-defense. My name is Levi Erickson, and this is The Levi Erickson Show. Alrighty, we have a lot of things to get to today. The first thing we got to get to is the election because that is all that is in the news all the time, and there is a lot of it. So, first of all, there is a huge burden for the Trump team to actually uh, prove that he really won this election. In order to do this, he's going to have to prove that there was voter fraud and voter irregularities. I can't pronounce that word for some reason. That. Would overturn the elections in places like Arizona, Georgia, and he needs either Michigan, Wisconsin, or Pennsylvania in order to truly prove that he won the election. Um, there ha- have been allegations and uh, even some proofs of voter fraud and voter irregularities all over the country. However, they have yet to prove the amount needed to actually. Change the results of any of these elections so far. Georgia, for example, discovered missing ballots that have favored Trump, but they only shortened the margin by roughly 5,000 votes. But that is not nearly enough needed for him to change the results in Georgia currently. Um, There's also this this argument that's being made by the Trump campaign, Trump team right now, that is basically once they find uh, proof that there's been voter irregularities and there's been voter fraud in in an area, that that actually should be prevalent all over the state, and therefore they should just disenfranchise all of the votes in that state. Which personally I think that's outrageous. Unless you can prove that it truly is a systematic issue rather than just a uh, isolated incident, right? And you can't just say, well, I found we found a few hundred votes here and there that were kind of looked a little fishy. No, you'd have to show that millions or hundreds of th- tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of votes all across the state were indeed due to systematic voter fraud for them to actually disenfranchise an entire state's results like that. And then presumably you would have another election. So that's been one of the issues. I would write off most of these as uh, conspiratorial. The only thing that actually makes me change that at all is that it's not that Rudy Giuliani's on the team because I can just write him off as like an always Trumper kind of guy. But Sidney Powell is someone that I don't really consider like an always Trumper that's just going to always have his back. And she seems to be a credible, credible lawyer that's uh, that's got some, um, some uh, uh, strong head on her. But uh, some of her allegations are are massive. And if true, they will change the results of this, this uh, projected election so far. Um However, there's a few things that need to be be sorted out first. For example, just the possibility of voter fraud doesn't equal voter fraud, right? So they can't just say, well, voter fraud could have happened, therefore it did happen. That's not how this is supposed to work. You got to prove that it did happen and that's when there can actually be legal discussions there. Um, And also some of our allegations are so massive uh, regarding these Dominion voting systems, right? Uh, Where basically there's this idea that every ballot cast for Donald Trump was counted as 0.75 or around that number of a Trump vote. And then every vote for Biden was counted as like a 1.25. I'm, I'm fudging with the numbers a little bit, but that's basically the the idea behind it. Um, they have yet to prove that, but it's, in a, it's a massive allegation. It's going to require massive amounts of proof. And I'm one that I need evidence. I'm an evidence guy. So until I see the evidence, I'm not going to Give that any too much credit, but there's also something that's really interesting about this Demo- uh, Dominion voting scandal is that uh, uh, Sidney Powell actually alleged that Republicans and Democrats both were paying Dominion in order to uh, uh, have their elections results changed and fudged a little bit right they're basically alleging that dominion makes all of its money um because they will they will basically take bribes and there's been allegations that they're connected to a venezuelan voting company and that's kind of the uh the deal there but as as of right now as of saturday there is no uh voter fraud proof from the dominion voting systems there's other voting fraud proof but it's not substantial enough to change any of these election so far. Also, as a general rule, I'm really skeptical of uh, conspiracies and stuff like this because uh, this is a, this is an analogy that's been commonly used recently, especially like uh, Ben Shapiro, where he compares government to Veep and not House of Cards. For those of you who haven't seen it, Veep is basically the office version of government, and that's kind of how I view the government as well. It's just a bunch of doddering fools running around and and. Doing whatever they seem to can a, a conspiracy doesn't happen if you have a bunch of a bunch of idiots working together. It only happens if you have a bunch of like criminal masterminds and like a house of cards sort of deal. But I don't see government is like that at all. So I'm the conspiracies are, are very rarely come out to be true because they 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 kind of have this picture of of a room full of these criminal masterminds sitting in a smoky room smoking cigars and and plotting their next move. Where government is really just a bunch of Bunch of fools, to be honest with you. And one of the things that's, that's kind of an unpopular opinion is I'm kind of glad that we're not finding massive voter fraud. And and it's not that I don't want Trump to win. I do. I want Trump to win. But it's 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 kind of promising to me that we're doing this massive investigation, which is good. I support the investigation, but that we haven't actually found any mass voter fraud. That's good because that means I can trust elections. That's a good thing. I know it's it sucks that Biden's going to be president, most likely. And I, it, it kind of sucks for the country. I get that but at least we can trust our elections a little bit more, right? That's a good thing. Now, if these allegations are true, the good part of it's going to be Trump gets gets elected, right? But the bad part is we're not going to be able to trust like any American election for a long time until we sort this whole thing out. That's a huge deal for the country. And so I'm, so far I'm really glad we're not really seeing anything massive in that in that area. Another thing that I wanted to talk about today is COVID and i know it's been talked about in the news a lot too but i didn't have a talk show to talk about covid so i'm going to talk about it now so there's first i just want to start with the facts okay these are just the facts this is not the narrative facts first then narrative say the first thing i wanted to talk about is the infection fatality rates these are all according to the cdc so the cdc has placed infection fatality rates by age and this includes pre-existing conditions so if you don't have a pre-existing uh, pre-existing condition your your infection fatality rate is even lower than this. Okay. If you are zero to 19 years old, so born to 19, you have a zero point zero 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 three percent chance of dying from COVID. Okay. If you are 20 to 49, you have a 0.0002 percent chance of dying. If you are 50 to 69 years old, you are 0.005 percent chance of dying. If you are 70 and up, you have a 0.054% chance of dying. So that's a big jump from the from the 50 to 69 threshold to the 70 and above. That's a huge jump. And this is including people with pre-existing conditions. So if you don't have a pre-existing condition, you don't have any those medical issues, it's even it's even lower than that, right? Um, but that's not to say I'm not diminishing the, the amount of deaths at all. Every death is is a tragedy of course absolutely but there's been a overblown proportion of how deadly this virus is especially for the under 70 crowd and especially for the under 40 crowd and that is just not a healthy discussion because i believe in following the science that's what the science suggests so i need to form my policy and my day-to-day activities to that science right the other thing is people have been comparing it to the flu it's not a bad comparison but they have to be noted this isn't the flu. It's two to three times more deadly than the flu, and it's much more transmissible. So if you combine those two together, it actually increases the death the uh, death rate to possibly six times as deadly as the flu. So that that's important to note. It's, it's, it is more deadly than the flu, so it should warrant more concern for the flu, especially if you're older. Right. Now, there's a bunch of policies been proposed and, and enacted all over the world to try to deal with COVID. And so far, we haven't found a good policy. What I mean by that is that none of the policies that we've been able to find have actually able to prevent tons and tons of deaths. Every place that has had a deep-seated amount of COVID, they are dying from it all across the world, no exceptions. Places, there, there's been often places like, whoa, look, this country's only had like 10,000 votes. Well, first of all, you have to count, count how many people are in their population, and then you have to count for how dense it is, right? If you have 10,000 people, but they have a country that's just massive. Their transmission rate going to be a lot lower. But if you have a place like New York City that's really condensed, or or Italy, for example, where their their population is very dense, their transmission rates are a lot higher. So you can't compare them uh, apples to apples like that. So there needs to be that discussion. And so one of the one of the most common uh, policy pre- prescriptions to solve this COVID epidemic or pandemic is this mask mandates idea. But Places like Germany and Italy and even New York, New York have all put in mask mandates. Germany, for example, has had in mask mandates since April. And Germany and Italy and New York all alike are getting walloped. And it's not because of the failure of that policy. It's just that it's an infectious disease that if you have a place that is really densely populated, it's going to spread and people are going to die. And that's a terrible thing, but masks aren't the answer. Now, that doesn't mean I don't support wearing masks. There's two instances where I can think of where masks are a very, very good idea. One, it's not to protect you. It's to protect others. So if you're going to hang out with grandma, you know, you should really be hanging out with grandma unless you are self-isolating as well. If you're going to hang out with grandma or grandpa, you should be wearing a mask or staying outside and staying socially distanced. Those are all good things to keep grandma and grandpa safe. We want to keep grandma and grandpa safe. Now, if you're hanging out with a bunch of 20-year-olds in a, in a house and everyone is already pretty much assumed the risk at that point, then it doesn't really make sense. The other issue, the other instance where it makes sense to wear masks is when you're going into a private store, private operated uh, establishment business that requires you to wear a mask. One of the things that's kind of irked me, especially on the right recently, is this kind of like um, rebelliousness of wearing a mask in like Walmart. I think this is ridiculous because I have a strict policy. If I'm gonna to go to Walmart for example or any store for that matter and they say in order to shop at the store I have to wear a pink fluffy unicorn costume right I have two options at that point I either get a pink uniform, unicorn costume and go shopping there or I don't shop there I shop somewhere else right so those are your options they're a private store they're allowed to do whatever they want they can serve whoever they want for whatever reason they want and if they want me to wear a pink unicorn costume I'm gonna wear a pink unicorn costume or shop somewhere else If they want to wear me want me to wear a mask I'm going to wear a mask or I'm going to shop somewhere else. So those are the two instances that are the most prevalent, which you should wear a mask. Also, the other one I just thought of just now was airports and airplanes because you can be put on a no-fly list and it's just courteous to everyone around you where you don't know their risk levels, right? Uh, the, the other one that's been really, really popular – is lockdowns. Lockdowns are one of the biggest policy prescriptions. They're like, if only we had a national lockdown, national mask mandate, then this would solve all the all the problems. But lockdowns are not the answer. And that's not just me. That's just I'm not. I'm just saying this as is is an uneducated uh, uh, college guy. I'm talking from the World Health Organization, right? The scientists. I'm talking from the experts, right? World Health Organization says that the COVID outbreak is, is a horrible thing. It should be avoided all, at, at all costs, right? But lockdowns are actually counterproductive unless one, uh, with the exception of one instance. If your medical system is overwhelmed and you need to buy space right for your medical groups to recover, to get more of their staff back, to get resupply, then lockdowns make sense because it offers some breathing room to actually get in the resources they need. Uh, fill uh, empty their ICU beds so that they can, they're can they ready for the next wave. But lockdowns do not crush the virus. They suppress it for a while, but they always come back. This has been proven by every lockdown on this planet. Every time they had a lockdown, cases went down for a little bit, but it never goes away. It always comes back because, as we found out, the only way that we actually get through this virus is if we achieve herd immunity. That's the only way that this virus is truly crushed and there's two ways to reach this herd immunity okay there's naturally and there's artificially naturally is from people getting it getting antibodies getting their cells their bodies are are used to it and then they are are immune for for at least a while right and there's there's rare exceptions to this of course there's you probably heard of 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 people who have who have gotten it twice those are rare and far between the vast majority of people who get this recover. This isn't me again. This is the science talking. Okay? Now, the other way to do it is to actually have an artificial way of doing it. That's from vaccines. Okay. Vaccines are, are a good way to do this because vaccines basically do the same thing as naturally getting it. They they, they inject you with the, the means of actually overcoming the virus, right? So the best Policy prescription, in my opinion, is what's been noted as the controlled avalanche theory, okay? This has been proposed by Israeli scientists and others, but most notably a handful of Israeli scientists. And basically, they put all of their efforts into protecting the vulnerable, the people that are old and pre-existing conditions. They say, you guys need to stay at home. You guys need to stay self-isolated. And everyone else needs to go about their day-to-day lives, right? Treat individuals as individuals. Me, I... I can assess my risk level. And I, and I look at myself and I go, you know what? I am a 20-year-old guy. I have no serious health problems. If I get COVID, I'm going to be just fine. Now, I don't want to risk anyone else who's going to be in serious danger. So I only hang out with people that I also know don't have a high risk level. And I make that clear with them. I'm like, hey, I'm not self-isolating. I'm going around. I'm doing my thing. I'm very likely to get the virus. So if you don't want to get the virus, we should not hang out. Or if we do, outside mask, social distance, all of the above, right? Those are the policy prescriptions. And then if you're if you're a risk level, you should go inside because the goal of the controlled avalanche theory is that enough of people get it that the infection rate drops below one. Once that happens, the virus is theoretically crushed, right? So the best, the, the fastest way to achieve herd immunity, both naturally and artificially, is to expose the healthy people to it isolate the unhealthy people from it and the people at risk and to develop a vaccine as fast as possible. Right. And above all else, let individuals be individuals. Now the stupid of all these policies, all these different policies is shutting down schools, which we'll get to in one moment. Um, but before we do that, we're going to take a break and then we'll be right back with school lockdowns. And we're going to talk about Kyle Rittenhouse. We're going to talk about Trump's presidential legacy, but we'll be right back. So school lockdowns and COVID. So this is, in my opinion, the stupidest policy that has been prescribed during this COVID epidemic, because one of the first things we actually learned about COVID was that it didn't affect young people nearly as much. Now, that's not to say that no young people have died ever. Of of course, with any virus, there's going to be outliers, right? Statistical outliers. So of course, there have been young people who have died from this, but they're few and far between. And if you're talking about things that are a danger and a risk to young people, it's not COVID. Now, usually that people understand this and actually they're like, yes, I get that. But my main concern is for the teachers. Well, there's a few things for that. One, the transmission rate among kids, especially under the age of 10 to adults, is very, very rare because their immune systems are much different and not well-developed, Right. And this isn't me again. This is the science. This is not Levi's talking with his his fake doctorate. This is the science, okay? And I'm not the only one saying this. Even Andrew Cuomo has actually acknowledged that the spread in these schools is not very high and they're not a big issue. There. Let me just. I'll just read you from Andrew Cuomo. Let's let's quote him, okay? So Andrew Andrew Cuomo is in a press conference and he says this quote: "We're not seeing spread in the schools. You see a very low positivity uh, positivity in the schools." End quote. Okay, a reporter follows up and, he's, and she quotes, "Why close schools?" And this is a quote: "Why close schools if schools aren't the problem? Why do that to parents?" End quote. Cuomo replies, "Quote: They came up with an agreement about the conditions that would open the schools and what would close the schools. The agreement in New York City was just that: if the infection rate in New York City rose above three percent, the schools would close." End quote. Right. So. That's not science. That's politics. They they have a political standard that they negotiated with the teachers' unions, right? They said 3%. And even though that he has already acknowledged that the science does not support that that threshold anymore, it doesn't support that threshold for, for schools closing, especially for kids under the age of 10. High schools are a little bit of a different story because you're dealing with adults and adults, right? But elementary school kids, they do not get this. Their transmission rates are incredibly low, and there hasn't been a single Incident, a single reported incident in the entire United States where a teacher got COVID from a child under the age of ten. Not a single one. Not a single one yet. Right? We're waiting to hear. We're we're waiting to find that out. But it hasn't been reported yet. So, what science are you going off at that point? And the answer is, there's not science. So, once again, Democrats have, who proclaim that they they are the ones that are going for the science. They're all science, 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 science. They personify this this god science, but. That's not what we're dealing with here. We're dealing with, with with, peer politics and teachers' unions, which is the true enemy of these, of, these, of these kids. And that's really, really sad that we can't actually have any discussion regarding schools opening without it bringing in politics. It can't be science-oriented in any way, shape, or form. If it was showing that kids were dying from this thing and, and, uh, and that the teachers were, were dying with this thing then from transmission with students, that would be a really big issue. But we're not seeing that that's the science isn't showing that until the evidence suggests otherwise it's a stupid policy right okay in other news not regarding COVID and the election finally some other news we have iran which is a really interesting story so uh, the bbc reported that the iran's uh uranium enriched uranium stockpile is 12 times that of the limit set upon it right and so that was a really big issue because iran is a pretty big threat to the united states right they're they constantly threatened us and they th- constantly threatened our Western culture, things like that. So Trump uh, we got a lot of heat, but he was asking for possibilities to how he's going to respond. And his, his main objective was looking at it militarily, right? And his advisors came and they sat down. They had a conversation. They actually talked him out of this, this idea of responding with military force. And so now they've moved that off the table. And they're actually looking for other options. But the media went nuts over this. They were freaking out about Trump and talking about military action, which I think is absurd. Like, okay, you could you can make the argument that maybe military action isn't the best the best way to go about it. Fine. But for Trump just to ask if that was a good idea, ask his advisors, even that isn't what this president's supposed to do. The president is not supposed to be an expert in military foreign relations. No, the president's supposed to be an expert in discerning information from experts and making a policy prescription. Right, he asked advisors a question. They gave him advice, and he changed his idea based on the advice he given. I don't know what any other rational person is supposed to do. And me personally, I'm actually okay with the military response to that. Right, I'm actually more of an interventionist, where I believe that the American uh, superpower should actually impose its will upon uh, threatening countries and l- uplift our allies. I think that's the best policy personally. But put that aside, I don't think Trump. I don't think you can even, even if you disagree with interventionist policy, I don't think you can say Trump did anything wrong when all he did was ask a question. It seems a little bit absurd, but I mean, what else are you going to expect from your uh, so-called traditional media? So one of the things that actually has up-routed, uh shot up from the COVID epidemic is a, or pandemic is a lot of these uh, economic issues, right? We're, we're getting really uh, poor We've got a lot of people in poverty, um, a lot of big issues going on. And, and I'm not downplaying any of that. But because of that, uh, the left has kind of pounced on the issue and decided, you know what? We're going to take advantage of this economic uh, pandemic and this tragedy and actually use it to our advantage to push our political agenda, right? They're not offering prescriptions for the pandemic. They're just pushing their policy and disguising it as prescriptions to the pandemic, right? As Rahm Emanuel says, let's uh, let no crisis go to waste, right? And we're in a crisis. We got to use it to our benefit, says the left. Right? We're going to use it to push our policy prescriptions that are so unpopular during normal times that maybe we can push them in during a economic crisis. So one of the policy prescriptions they've been pushing recently is free college, which they've been pushing for decades. But that one of the things that they've been pushing really strongly now is free college because of how much debt has been incurred by the American student. And this is something that's, that's really outrageous to me for many, many reasons. One of the first is the, the the debt problem came greatly from the government, meaning when the government, when the federal government imposed FAFSA, right? FAFSA allowed people to take out loans for college, no questions asked. You want to go to school to study dance theory and you'll never have a job in your entire life? Go ahead. You want to take out a $100,000 loan for that? We got you. That's the federal government for you, okay? And the federal government has a wonderful, wonderful policy where instead of actually revoking a policy that actually creates a bunch of problems, what they do is they they enact what these are called, quote-unquote, band-aid policies, which basically, instead of taking away the policy or adjusting that policy that's broken, they just add another policy on top of it, right? So in this instance, FAFSA has has created this massive amount of debt for students that they cannot pay back because they went and studied degrees for massive amounts of money that do not pay well, right? And colleges are in on the scheme. They're like, heck yeah, you want to come here for... For forty thousand uh, dollars, you're gonna take, have to take out a loan for that, and they're like, "Oh, no worries, I got the federal government coming in with forty thousand dollars." And then the college goes, "Oh, you got the federal government in on that? Well, actually, it's going to cost a hundred thousand dollars." And they go, oh, "Don't worry, we got the federal government on that." And the colleges know they're not going to make money off of these degrees. They're, it's not like they're studying STEM fields; they're studying dance theory and environmental. It's not even environmental science; it's like environmental theory. These degrees are not paying well. They're taking outlandish loans that are just hurting students and colleges, and the, the federal government have, are really in on this on this scheme. And the left has this like strategy that they like to use, where they just basically declare everything a right. Like that's a right. That's a right. That's a right. That's a right. Everything's a right. And once you name something a right, then they can enact it as federal policy. And uh, I have a really restrictive view on rights. You have very few rights. You have the right to right. You have the right to life. You have the right to liberty, and you have the right to pursue happiness and property those are your rights and those are amazing rights and the federal government should do everything in its pop and its power to protect those rights but you also have things that are are quote unquote rights but they're not truly rights that the federal government gets involved in for example i think you have the right to go and go and get food you know i i want you to have food to eat i want you to have i want you to go and be able to get an education i want you to go and do these things however the federal government's job is not to pay for those things to be given to you the federal government's job is to stop anyone else from stopping you from going and getting that stuff for yourself. That's the beauty of the American system. The government is a giant gun and a giant money bag, right? That's all the federal government is and all its ability to do is to point it's gun either at you or in between you and harm. And I don't want it pointing at me. I want it pointing in between me and someone else invading all my rights, right? And not my right to go get go get college. I don't want the government involved in that. And this is coming to someone who's Tens of thousands of dollars in debt for college. Don't go to college unless you were going to study a STEM major, which would make more sense. If you were actually going to forgive student loans for STEM majors, that would make more sense. Let's say you've enacted a policy that said something like this You go and you get a certified STEM major in in science, technology, engineering, mathematics, something of that nature, and you graduate with 4.0. You're an excellent student and you're going to be an excellent, productive member of society. If you if you pledge to like work in America and 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 work w- within that field, I think there's a I think there's a better argument to be made that the federal government can get involved in that, or maybe even I think a better argument would be state governments. Like let's say let's say from my hometown in Alaska, say Alaska says, hey, if you graduate in a STEM major, right, and you do really really well, and you come up here and you work for a few years, we'll we'll forgive your student loans. But I mean that's already what businesses do, right? If you come and you can get your 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 debt forgiven from Massive companies all the time. This is not an uncommon thing. But of course, they just want to bypass all that and go straight to the federal government because there's no localism anymore. Um, And the the last issue I have with this, and there's many others, but the last one I'm going to note is that I don't typically support policies that don't apply equally to everyone. What I mean by that is this policy is only prescribed to people who want to go to college. It doesn't talk about people who just graduate high school and get a job. It doesn't talk about people that go to uh, high school and then get get a trade school and then get a job. They don't talk about any of those people or people that have already gone to college and they already paid off all their debts. They don't care about those people. They only care about the people who went to college, got a degree that they can't pay back, uh, a a massive loan that they can't pay back because the degree they got doesn't actually produce any income. And that's one of the biggest issues. Now – it, it appears that Trump is going to lose this election, right? That's, that's, it's pretty clear unless the, this so-called Kraken is truly released uh, by Sidney Powell and his team. I am very skeptical for one. But I think one of the things that I wanted to do is actually go over a lot of the things that Trump did well and things that he did bad. And they're not the same as like the media would like you to believe. One of the biggest things that Trump did is he got out of the way of the economy. I'm not one that gives credit to the president for how the economy does unless they actively imposed upon it. For example, Barack Obama put many regulations into place that actually really hurt the economy, right? Trump took regulations away and lowered taxes, getting out of the way of the economy. Trump didn't go there and push the economy to success. The economy does that on its own because it's a fantastic free market economy that does amazing when left alone. But Trump does deserve credit for getting out of the way. That's his credit. That's when credit is due. He also repealed the worst part of Obamacare, which is the individual mandate, right? That was the part of Obamacare or of the Affordable Care Act that actually forced you to get insurance even if you didn't want to. And if you didn't get it, you were going to get a fine. So you were being forced to buy uh, crappy insurance just so that you could avoid that fine, which is the worst part of Obamacare, which is a great thing that Trump did. Another thing that he did is uh, he's, he's, he's done a lot of the border wall despite the fact that it's It's been a long time coming and I know this is one of the most – one of the more controversial policies because it's like don't build a wall. We're all unity and stuff and I understand that argument to a point but one of the things I don't understand is when people tell me that we – that they'll be the same people that are really, really distraught with things like human and sex trafficking and it's one of the issues most dear to my heart. I think it's it's one of the most depressing and sad and villainous sins that are uh, going on in this world and one of the places it's going on most frequently is – is children, women and children, are being bought and sold across the border, right? And I think it's well worth $5 billion to at least save one of those kids. I think that's a well-earned investment. If you put $5 billion, build a wall, and it saves at least one kid from being sex trafficked and it has the potential to saving many more than that, I think that's a good investment. And I think it's a really hard thing when I propose that to people and they go, no, it's not a good investment. I think that's a fantastic investment, especially seeing that I think it's going to save way more than one kid because there are thousands of kids and, and women that get sex trafficked and human trafficked across that border. And I think any any attempt to lower that amount is fantastic. I mean, it's sad that this country has relied on Ashton Kutcher to do most of the work for us, but that's not something that should be uh, looked down upon by Trump. Also, his foreign policy is one of the best parts of a president's job, one of the most important parts of a president's job, and he's done fantastic, Right. Israel. He's been a great ally to Israel. He moved the embassy to Jerusalem. Fantastic. Iran. He avoided war with Iran and was able to kill um, uh, terrorists and defeat ISIS. Uh, Abu Abar al-Baghdadi. I don't really care if I pronounce his name because he's a piece of crap. Um, he didn't start any war. For the first time in modern history, he didn't start a war. He enacted great trade policy with Mexico and Canada. Obviously, I would like a little better, but I mean, it's, it's a good trade deal. I can't bash it at all. Uh, he was tougher on China than past presidents, which is fantastic because they're our biggest intellectual Uh, enemy. And he opened up dialogue with North Korea, which even though I don't really like a lot of things he did with North Korea, I at least appreciate the fact that he was able to actually reach out with him and actually have a conversation with the guy for the first time in a long time. He's also been able to appoint great conservative judges all over the board, um, both in the Supreme Court of the United States and the uh, other courts as well. He's also able to start Space Force, which right now is Pretty small fries, but it has the potential to do some great stuff, which isn't like a radical idea. I remember it kind of became a meme where everyone just makes fun of Space Force. But people like uh, Neil uh, T- uh, Tyson, or I'm spacing his name right now, but the, the astronomer, he was actually been pushing for a Space Force for a very long time because there's a lot of property up there. we got billions and billions of dollars with equipment and satellites and all that stuff, and we want to be the first one there, right? We, we want to be the first one with the Air Force. We want to be the first person with the Space Force. We want to have some enforcement capabilities up there as well he also enacted the first step act which was uh, criminal justice reform some of it i like some of it i didn't like but it's it's still very notable that he was able to help release some uh, lower offense criminals which is which is a great thing i don't believe in uh, putting people in, in prison for for victimless crimes uh he was also able to this is personal to me in alaska he was able to open up the uh anwar in alaska for some drilling a part small part of alaska which is which is great for the uh, alaskan economy so i'm really happy about that And this is my most unpopular opinion on Trump. I think he did a great job with COVID, all things considered. I mean, I'm not saying he was God with COVID. I'm not saying he was able to like predict every possible issue with COVID and and solve it. But let's look at a few things he's done, right? He respected federalism, which is the biggest thing for me. He didn't just take all the power for himself. He said, no states are going to do what they want to do. They can enact their own policy and I'm going to fulfill the federal duty and actually supply them with the resources that they need. Right? He actually fought against lockdown policy, which is a great, great thing because lockdown policy, like I mentioned, is only good if you're trying to restrict, uh, prevent the amount of, of medical overload. You don't want to overwork your your hospitals and things like that. Um, and then there was also the, the – so he supplied the states with ventilators. He, he was able to get them what they needed and when they needed it, and all the Democratic governors were able to actually note that. And that's something that the media just kind of glanced over. He even was able to rally naval bases in New York City when it looked like their medical system was going to be overrun. Mm-hmm. Got a ship there, and they were, uh, they were all right then. And then, he, and then the biggest thing, uh, other than federalism, is Operation Warp Speed, which was able to develop a vaccine faster than anywhere in human history. All right, we have two vaccines that are both reporting 90% above 90% effectiveness, which is fantastic because like I said, two ways to stop this, one way to stop this virus is herd immunity, two ways to accomplish that, natural, naturally and artificially. We were working on naturally just from herd immunity naturally, and now because of the vaccine development and when that gets distributed, that'll be working towards an artificial immunity to the virus. We're going to talk about two other things today, but I'm going to take a a quick break. We're going to talk about the president's failures. And my most outrageous story of this last week is the Kyle Rittenhouse story. Uh, And we want to talk about that because it ticks me off. So we'll be right back. Alrighty. So finishing up here, I wanted to talk about President Trump's failures. And then briefly, we'll talk about uh, Kyle Rittenhouse because that's a really big story that's been going on this week. And people have been talking about it again. So first, I don't want to be unfair I just talked about a lot of the things that I really liked about Trump. Some of them are controversial. Some of them are really not. Usually people can, can see the good he did for the economy, things like that. But that doesn't mean Trump was uh, like the, the greatest president ever. I mean he certainly – I would say probably on my on my list he's top five, maybe top ten. Um, but the, he had a lot of good traits but definitely a lot of really toxic bad ones that I don't consider as important as the other ones. That's why I consider him a good president overall. However, he has a lot of personality flabels. For one, he was just a bad leader overall as in terms of like how he would carry himself. He wasn't like this arbiter of like moral like moral righteousness or anything because if I was going to like actually pick exactly how my president was, like if I could like hand pick a president, imagine map him out in my on a, on a notepad, one of the things I would include would be like a really strong Christian guy. I think that's a, a really uh, – someone with really strong morals and I don't think Trump has really strong morals. So that's a, that's a con for him, for sure. He also just says stupid crap all the time, and he doesn't really think things through. He's not some, like, philosopher. He's, not a, he's definitely not Ronald Reagan in any of his politics. He's very wishy-washy. He's a populist. He just kind of goes with the flow. He's not nearly as conservative slash libertarian as I like the president to be. I'm one that really thinks that the govern the uh, governors should be looked at more highly, and they should be actually more important than the president, um, because I I think the president should really be uh, way way less powerful than he is right now. Um, but one of the things that he did do is kind of an embarrassment to the country. He's kind of became like this laughing stock to to many of the world leaders, especially some of our allies, and that's never a good look. I mean, typically I really don't care what the rest of the country thinks of us or the rest of the the world thinks of us, uh, for that matter. But I mean, it's it's not a good thing that we're a laughing stock. You, l- you would like it, ideally, uh, for world leaders to look at your president and revere him like, yeah, man, that's a that's a guy I don't want to mess with. He's he's a strong, smart, capable leader. But I don't think that people get that sense from Donald Trump. And I definitely don't think he's an expert in pretty much anything. I, I am one to don't think he's one of these, uh, uh, he's playing 4D chess. I don't think that he's this, uh, super intelligent, super high high IQ guy. Uh, I think he's really childish, frankly. But despite all that, he somehow managed to govern, govern fantastically compared to 90% of the presidents we've had so far. And way better than uh, uh, Obama or the how Biden's actually going to turn out. The other thing that I really don't like about Trump is his Twitter. And actually, it's not the Twitter aspect of it. It's what he tweets, right? Like, I actually kind of like the idea of presidents being able to directly relay messages to the people via Twitter, right? There's no, there's no media bias. There's really nothing there. It's just here's the tweet. You can look it up yourself. The average American tweets all the time. They can just scroll through Twitter and see what the president's saying. I kind of like that idea. What I don't like is what he tweets. He kind of just tweets at 3 a.m. in his boxers and just tweets what, what's going on in, in Trump's head, which I don't think anyone really wants a window into that head. So uh, I, th- I think that's one of his, definitely one of his flabels for sure. And the last thing is his, uh, his golfing addiction. And, and it's actually not the golfing addiction that's the issue for me. Like I actually, like I said before, I don't really revere the president that much. I don't, like a lot of countries kind of, picture their president as, or their prime minister or whatever it's like a god king sort of thing i don't see trump that way i don't see the president see that way at all it's a respectable job for sure but i think that's about it i think that's what it should be looked at as a respectable job right so the president golfing and kind of like blowing off his job isn't a bad thing to me because the less the president does in the white house that means the less i have to worry about him doing to my personal life i just want to do my thing the less the federal government's involved the better so if he's out golfing He's not doing anything to impose on on my rights or my freedoms or anything like that. So I like that portion of it. What I don't like is that it's incredibly expensive to the taxpayer as a, physical, as a fiscal uh, conservative who's really consider, uh, concerned about the spending of federal government. And every time the president goes anywhere, it's incredibly expensive. So I kind of like limiting that as much as possible. And it's also just not a really good look. So those are my critiques of Trump. There are many others in specifics, but overall – Dude says a lot of crap. Don't consider him an expert in anything. And uh, if it wasn't for the fact that he's he's governed fantastically in terms of policy, I'd hate the guy. So last thing we're going to talk about today is Kyle Rittenhouse. So those of you that aren't familiar with the story, it's been breaking out slowly over the last few months. Essentially what happened is during the riots back in uh, over the summer – there was riots and looting and protesting and there was uh, people breaking into stores, burning them down. People were losing their livelihoods. It was a really, really dark time in the country's history. And there was a group of men who decided that they were going to go help out a car dealership from being burned down. Okay, So the car dealership had a bunch of armed men standing outside so that the looters and riders weren't going to be able to destroy this man's property. And whether or not you think that a 17-year-old boy, because Kyle Rittenhouse is 17, a 17-year-old boy should have been there is another thing. I personally think it's kind of admirable, even though it's kind of stupid for a 17-year-old to be there. I think it's an admirable thing to do. And I honestly, if it was my kid, I'd be really proud of him. But putting putting that aside, let's just look at the legality of the situation. So the rioters and looters come, right? And it, there's a lot of disputed facts about what happens between uh, when Kyle is there posting guard and what happens after the shootings, okay? So some of this is according to Kyle, some of this is according to the the, the, the surviving victim and other witnesses. So essentially what happened is Kyle Rittenhouse is being chased. We have video of him being chased, uh, people attacking him with uh, a skateboard in one video. One video, it's, it looks like a, a, a one of the, One of the uh, um, men had a a gun on him, and he was was pulling it out. A lot of this is going to be disputed in court, so I don't want to overstep my bounds of what has actually been proven in court yet. But what is is very clear is he was at least being chased and assaulted, and Kyle Rittenhouse returned fire and shot three men. Two of them were killed, and one of them was injured, right? So now Kyle Rittenhouse is alleging that it was self-defense, and then the prosecutors are alleging that it wasn't. It was more than that. It was uh, potentially murder, right? This is pretty outrageous to me. In, in my personal opinion, For I've seen the videos. I saw the clips. All the available evidence suggests that Kyle Rittenhouse, Just you can say that he wasn't supposed to be there that night, sure. But I don't think being just being in the wrong place at the wrong time is a death sentence. He was attacked. I think anyone in the right mind would have acted the exact same way of Kyle Rittenhouse in that situation. He's a 17-year-old kid. He's being chased by a bunch of thugs and criminals. And they are trying to hurt him. But, and when you're being attacked, you don't know how far they're going to go. You can't just say, "Well, they weren't going to try to kill him; they're just going to beat him up," and that's much different than killing. You don't know that until he's dead, and you don't want to just be. And you and you have a right to return lethal force when someone's assaulting you, even if you know that they're only going to beat you up. You still have the right to defend yourself. You're not just going to get beat up all the time and just kind of let that happen. That you have a right to actually go go through that. And and it's outrageous to me that Kyle Rittenhouse is being is being portrayed as this 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 monster for defending himself i mean if you'd have to be crazy not to act in the same way he did so kyle rittenhouse was was released uh yesterday with a two million dollar bail that was given to him by many supporters which is i think a fantastic thing i don't think that guy should be in jail for one second longer than he then he absolutely has to be there's there's potential legal allegations of him being in possession of a a firearm in a state where that's not allowed at his age uh open carrying at at that age is is uh not not legal supposedly, so that's being debated about. There might be a, 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 a circumstances clause where he's actually allowed to do that, but that's going to be figured out in court, and I'm actually okay with them investigating that portion of it, but the idea that they're going to try to prosecute this guy for what seems to be clearly self-defense is outrageous to me. Um, but we will see what happens there, and we'll report on it once the uh, actual trial takes place, and we'll, we'll talk about that. Um, so... Have a wonderful and safe Thanksgiving with your families. Don't let the government dictate your life. Have fun with your families. Be safe. Don't kill grandma. Um, and then next Sunday, we're not going to have a show because of Thanksgiving, but we will have an episode of Why Christ. It's going to be our first episode airing. It's going to be talking about theology. It's going to be talking about salvation, a bunch of different topics. It's kind of an introductory episode. Please give that a listen. That'll be, that'll be awesome. Uh, also, if you like this episode, please like and share and subscribe. It really helps me out and gets the word out. And, uh, yeah, I am Levi Erickson, and this is The Levi Erickson Show. If you like the show, please like, subscribe, and share with your friends. Also, please check out our other Leviticus Studios productions, including the Debunk Series, Bias-Free News, and Why Christ? The Levi Erickson Show is produced by Wyatt Winfield and Peyton Hovilla. Music by River Erickson and Andrew Montgomery.